You're listening to the Flow Theory Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, please give a warm welcome to the Flow Theory Podcast, a Southeast Ohio football legend, Donnie Johnson from Gallia Academy. Donnie, 2003 Gridiron Glory Player of the Year, really one of the best high school football players I've ever gotten to watch, a dynamic athlete on the football field. In his senior year for Gallia Academy, Donnie had over 1,000 passing yards and over 1,200 rushing yards and 26 total touchdowns for the Gallia Academy Blue Devils. An absolute beast on the football field coming out of high school Went on to star for the Tiffin Dragons. Donnie, thanks so much for coming on the show, my man. Yeah, way, man. Appreciate it, man. And uh, definitely like what you're doing, man. And uh, keep it up. And glad to glad to be on the show and appreciate you reaching out, man. All right, Donnie. We'll get down to it, my man. One of the big parts of this show is to talk to all the athletes about their moments of flow. And being in the zone, man, I know you had so many of those moments for the Galley Academy Blue Devils in Galpolis, Ohio. Talk to me about your memories of flow in uh, both high school and college. Let's hear about them. Yeah, man, the, the flow, man, it, it's kind of crazy. Um, you know, I, I talk to people now, you know, being in the professional world and, um, you know, just people ask me about my playing days. And the funny part about it is, you know, some people just don't get it. And, uh, you know, looking back at it, people will see, hey, I looked up your film and seen da 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 how'd you do that? And it's, it's just funny, man. Just You get in the zone, and when you're feeling it, you're feeling it. And, uh, you know, I had the option to play college sports, either in football uh, and or basketball. And um, I always tell people the game of basketball, knowledge-wise, I had more knowledge basketball. But I was able to play football at a higher level um, but the knowledge piece of it wasn't always there or it wasn't there as much as it was with basketball, but football, man, I mean, it was always, it was slow motion. Um, I never looked at the guy in front of me. I was always looking at the people around them and setting the guy in front of me up for my success to get around the next level or the next person. And, um, and that just carried over into college where the thing slowed down. And it really was. It's like slow motion. And one play in particular, uh, we were playing Gannon, and a uh, guy by the name of James Rankin was just it, talking so much shit. Is this at, and, uh, is this at Tiffin, Donnie? This is at, yeah, this is at Tiffin. And, uh, you know, I end up ran into the back of my pulling tackle, and um, I go heading straight towards the pile, put my head down, just trying to get an extra yard. And next thing you know, I feel somebody from behind me and literally spin out of it. The dude goes diving into the pile and I pick up seven more yards because I'm stumbling after. And they're like, how in the world did you see him? And it's just, it's just crazy. I'm like, I don't know. I just felt him. And, uh, you know, that's, that's just the type of zone I guess you can get into is when things slow down for you, man, people are dangerous. Donnie, one of your famous games in high school that I'll, I'll never forget was it just burned into my brain. The fall game, Gallia Academy versus Athens, the field was absolutely blanketed in fog. 
you always had a knack for stepping up in the big moments just with the most pressure. And you just always had a knack for making clutch plays. Talk to me about the the fog game. And I remember you you stripped the guy, you stripped the ball from him, and then you just took the ball back for a touchdown. Yeah, man, that game was wild. Uh, you know, they had a great quarterback, uh, Grant Gregory, which in my book will still go down as the best uh, quarterback in, in Athens high school history. Um, and that's in my opinion. And, uh, you know, Ryan Mingus, Chris Hewitt, great team. And uh, it was funny because me and James Haggerty, he was a freshman at the time. We, they, Athens scored a touchdown, and we go back to return the kick. Athens had this uh, cannon, and it went off, you know, touchdown. And we look behind us and, you know, whatever, shake it off, and there's smoke coming from the cannon. Well, next thing you know, before they kick the ball off, here comes this cloud of smoke, which we thought from the cannon. We're like, no way. There no way the smoke is just covering the field. Next thing you know, about five plays later, man, the whole field was covered in fog. And literally the furthest you can probably see is probably from a little bit inside the hash to the closest sideline. And, um, you know, Athens was a passing team. And uh, luckily we had the school. We had the, the, the go ahead. We were ahead and we're, they were still passing. So Grant was throwing nice little out routes and such. And uh, next thing you know, they throw, I'm playing corner. They throw a little out route on my side, and I wrap the guy up, and I see our safety, Tommy Bowes, coming down to, to lay the hit on him. And I just went for the strip, strip the ball. And, again, it's on our sideline. Strip the ball, pick it up, and go however many yards down the sideline, basically in a very, very light jog um, because nobody had a clue except for the ref and our sideline. And even our fans barely even had a visual of what was going on. And uh, to this day, you know, I, if I'd ever talked to, I can't even remember the receiver's name at this time, but he swears up and down that he was tackled to the ground. But to my memory, I don't even think he touched the ground. I stripped it, and Tommy Bowes didn't even tackle it. So, uh, but yeah, crazy game, man. And, you know, I, I think that'll go down in one of uh, Gallia Academy's history books right there with just the, the way the fog played out in that game. Yeah, that was certainly one of my favorite plays of yours uh, from your senior year. Another one that I really loved uh, from your Gallia Academy days was the run. You had like a, it was either like a 60 or 70 yard TD run against the Logan Chieftains and you just took off right through the middle of the damn defense and ran for a touchdown. I mean, it was it was awesome to watch, man. Uh, walk me through that TD run. Oh, my goodness, man. That was a, a, another one. That's the zone, man. Just in the zone. And I, I, I kind of go back a little bit. You know, when you're in the zone, like it it truly is like you, you don't re- remember it so much at the time. But then if you reflect on it after the game, you're like, oh, man, like what in the world just happened? almost like you're in a dream and then all of a sudden you wake up and it's like, Oh no, that was reality. Uh, but that game, I mean, we were, we were just going for a prayer because, you know, we were 60 so yards or so away from trying to just trying to get in before the half. And, um, I, I dropped back and had a little pressure and my buddy Steve Kenny, I mean, he was an old lineman. It's funny that he was an old lineman because he was about, you know, probably 185, 195 and, still could run, you know, a, a, I'd say a 4-9 at that time, maybe even faster than that, but the hardest-working kid we had probably on our team. 
And he led the way, set up a block, man. I made a couple people miss. And then, again, the young freshman, Nagalia uh, great, James Haggerty, got my way. And I actually, only person that touched me was him. Um, and he was on my team. And he was just going to lay a crack back. And ended up, we ran into each other, walking the end zone, man. And that will, uh, honestly, I'll go as, down as one of my favorite games, man, I've ever played in just because we were 8-1. and one, But we if we'd have lost that game, we probably were out of the playoffs. So that set the tone for us getting into the playoffs at nine and one. Yeah, that was that was just such a fun game, man. I still remember those highlights being edited in the editing bay at WUB for uh, when you were the Gridiron Glory Player of the Year, and I, I just remember vividly watching the highlights of that Logan game up on the screen, man. It was uh, it was mesmerizing, and watching the uh, watching the te- highlight tape get put together for that. I mean, it was. Just awesome watching all your highlights, man. Honestly, one of the better players I've ever gotten to watch. And, uh, you know, we've gotten to talk a lot of college football over the years, and it's pretty cool to talk to a college football diehard like yourself. Uh, Speaking of which, Donnie, talk to me about your college recruitment process. Once you came out of Gallia Academy and and you were being looked at by colleges. I, for one, was really surprised that you did not get uh, more college attention, especially for the Division One level. You were such an exceptional athlete. Talk to us a little bit about your uh, college recruitment process coming out of high school. Yeah, so um, you know, going into my senior year, it was it was heavy, man. I, I got still to this day. My mom has letters of. Uh, all these letters I received, Indiana was really heavy. West Virginia took official visit actually to uh, West Virginia. Um, what Marshall, OU, Ball State, um, Miami of Ohio, um, even got some letters from UCLA, Stanford, um, just some big time schools, Illinois, and um, even Florida, which was very surprising. But uh, you know, it was it was very exciting, and uh, going into my senior year. And um, at that point in time, you know, the MAC schools were really heavy. You know, obviously Marshall, uh, OU in the backyard, and uh, Grant Gregory's dad, again, his dad was on the staff at OU at the time. And so a little connection there, but, uh, and Ball State was heavy. That's when Coach uh, Brady Hoke was there. And, um, you know, went through that process and, you know, had some offers. I actually had offers from Ball State, Marshall, and OU. And um, that were in the works there, especially the OU one was in the works. And, um, you know, coming out of that, you know, for me, you know, I always worked hard, did things the right way. Um, but standardized testing, man, was just a Achilles heel for me. And, you know, I didn't know, like, I can study for things that are actually on the test, but studying for something on concepts. And that magnitude was just a blind, like it was really um, a challenge for me at that point in time. And um, so with that, I didn't get the ACT test scores. And um, so at that point in time, you know, let's say that was early on junior year, going into senior year, still no test scores. And um, to my own fault, and I I tell this to the kids I speak to all the time, I showed up the very first time my junior year taking a uh, taking a test, and I circled C for every single answer. It was a Friday. It was a Saturday morning after Friday night game, and I think we played at Marietta. And um, 
you know, that's a two and a half hour bus ride back home. Uh, and, you know, I didn't take it serious and, uh, you know, definitely regretted that definitely early on in my, you know, college career. Like, man, you know what? I could have been, you know, at these different places. But uh, all in all, um, you know, what ended up happening, we get the basketball season my senior year. And at this point in time, you know, I'm leaning towards Ball State. Um, I got an old teammate that's at Ball State, loved it there, took official visits there, and uh, loved the program. Ended up, um, I'm at basketball practice, come home, and there's a car in the driveway, go inside, and it's my recruiting coach, the running back coach. And uh, he's there and actually was just close enough in town that he, he stopped by and actually told me in person um, that they were pulling my scholarship because they got a kid in Florida uh, with the same athletic ability but had the ACC score. And so they pulled my offer. And uh, next thing you know, about a week or two later, here comes OU. Uh, Coach Gregory just got let go um, from the OU staff, and the head coach comes in. And he comes and talks to one of our O-linemen, Ben Doolittle, which he was an engineering guy, so he was – he was clear, free and clear, you know, grade wise, and basically offered us walk on spot. And I was like, well, I'm not walking on. And then um, Marshall ends up pulling out. So at that point in time, man, it was just like, whoa, reality sunk in. And the guy I told you about earlier, Steve Kenny, was looking at coming up to Tiffin. And um, next thing you know, a guy by the name of Paul Smith um, had some, he's from the Chesapeake area and ended up, um, heard you know heard my name around the buzz and ended up uh called me next thing you know i'm up in tiffin i left i left gallup list and you know i grew up in bidwell so that's where i lived so grew up in bidwell and um or left bidwell and in long sleeve t-shirt and shorts man it was like 70 degrees or so get up to tiffin it's nothing but ice and i'm like what the hell am i doing here and, uh, <laughs> yeah so it was crazy, man, and I just I, I approached it with a very open eye and just said, you know what, hey, this is what it is right now. So you know you gotta you gotta take advantage of what opportunities you have in front of you, and that was the opportunity in front of me at the time. And uh, they made me an offer, and uh, you know it, it it turned out to be the best. So you know, um, I I got lucky. I, I found some of your highlights from uh, Tiffin on YouTube. I was really surprised. the The quality okay. is just horrible, but terrible. I could I could make out some of the plays. I tell you, one of the most amazing parts of those highlights, and I, I text you about this: the fact that one you played a whole season on a partially torn PCL. That's crazy. Um, one of the plays that I love the most, and I, I want to hear you talk about this one. There's a play on that highlight film where it's about a 20 yard TD run where you take it down the left side and you make a huge dive towards the end zone. I want you to walk me towards that play in particular. Yeah. Well, I think there was a couple that year. Um, so I'm not, was we home or away? Were we in dark jerseys or, or light jerseys? That's a good question. Um, <laughs> It's, it's tough to know. Was, you you made like a pylon dive. You were basically really yeah. close to the out of bounds. You were really close to being out of bounds, but you well, dove. There's, there's, you, you went midair. Yeah, there's there's two I can remember, and they're probably in my top five of plays from college. 
Um, there's one we're playing Missouri Rolla, uh, first game of the season, and basically our our, our coach Dave Painter, he was our uh, offensive coordinator, and um, owe a lot of my football knowledge to him, and great coach. And uh, he he said if we don't run for over 250 yards on I can't even name what what he called them, but uh, <laughs> if we ran if we didn't run over 250 yards uh, rushing, we were soft. And so, uh, and so we demolished them. We, I mean, I think I got national player of the year, division two, or player of the player of the week that week, um, division two, and ran for like 189 yards or something like that. But it was a, it was a 56. I, I remember it clears day. It's 56, so it's a halfback read option. So this counter option, uh, running back lines up to the right. And uh, he does a little step in, and, and he's just going to follow the tackle up and in on the pulling tackle. And uh, I read the end. And so I read the defensive end. He bites down. I pull it, man, and I just take off around the left side. And, you know, Dachan, I think, was on that side and made a great block. And next thing you know, here comes safety and pursuit, man. And it's like, hey, you know, and, and back in that time, you know, anywhere from 2002 to 2000, probably 10. You know, the Reggie Bush era was heavy. So diving in the end zone, making, you know, just making that leap into it for the pylon was, was the thing. And I'm like, all right, there's people in front of me. I'm, And we used to just play around and see how far away that you can jump to get into the end zone. So for me, I knew I was good. If I got one a half step inside of five yards, man, I'm getting in. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. And so that's what I did, man. I took off and got hit in, in midair. And next thing you know, blackout for that half a second. And you, you wake up, you see the arms, arms of the uh, referee raise his hands, touchdown. So that's one. The other one was against Central State. And uh, it was, uh, I dropped back on a passing play, got nothing, got nothing. Scramble, take off, and die for the pylon again. And that one, not a full helicopter, but got hit in midair, and it actually propelled me higher. And uh, I got <laughs> Jesus, I got a personal foul on that one because I I got up and turned to look at the ref while I'm running towards the sideline, and run into a guy that's running across my face, and they flagged me for a personal foul. And uh, <laughs> I tell you what, that that game was fun, man. They they talked a lot of shit, and it was just it was fun to uh, put it to them. That's funny. What what were they saying to you when they were talking shit? Uh, that I was trash. I mean, that I wasn't shit. I come from the country, and y'all ain't shit. You know, because Central State was a HBCU, or is a HBCU. So is, is band, that a, is that the, a HBCU in Ohio, Donnie? That is correct. Outside of Dayton. Okay. And uh, they had a running back man, something moss, but that dude was a monster. And uh, but it, you know, they were just. They were just talking, man, talking shit. And even in high school, man, you can you can ask anybody I played against, anybody I played with. Uh, I wasn't one for talking shit. But as soon as you talk shit to me, and if I start talking back, you're in trouble. Shit, you're in trouble. And um, and it, it's funny because nowadays that's all I do is talk shit, and I can't even back it up anymore. So it's just kind of funny how how the tides have turned. You know, uh, I'm I'm curious, Donnie, with. Um, with all the football movies, like with the program and, and everything and varsity blues, 
Was there any sort of epic speech that you gave to the guys in the huddle of just like, all right, boys, let's put the women and children to bed and go looking for fucking dinner. Ready? Break. <laughs> Actually, it's, it's funny you say that. I was thinking about it the other day. I had a group chat with, uh, with my buddies and, uh, that's one I always said, and then I look back on it like, man, I was corny as hell for saying that, like corny. But you know, honestly, I mean, it was it was business. Like the very first play of a game, I'd come out and say something. I'd try to joke around just calm everybody's nerves. Because um, my nerve, I always got my nerves out in pregame. I always told the safety, um, especially my senior year, Minocchio, Andrew Minocchio was the safety, and you know, you you run a little one on one, just getting a speed action there, and um, I always told him, hey, let's head up. I don't care if I have the ball or not. Let's head up. And that got my nerves out. I just had to get hit the first time to get my nerves out. But um, So my nerves were always out, and I was always a guy that was smiling, man. I just played the game because I loved it. And, uh, you know, I smiled during it because I knew I already put the work in and was prepared. And so, um, yeah, no real crazy speeches, but, you know, the guy, we, we have some guys, obviously every team has that guy that can just give a speech that you don't even know what they really say, but it just gets you pumped up. And we had a guy, Deuce Deuce, he's a rapper now. Um, and it was then, he was rapping a little bit then, but that dude can put some words together, man. And he can have you out there running through a brick wall. Um, I'm curious, Donnie, um, who hit you the hardest during your football career? Let's hear about your hardest hits that you got hit. So two people come to mind. One in high school, dude's name was Chris Brown from Columbus to sell. And they had a, they had a team. I don't know how they didn't win state that year. Yeah. That, that Um, team was really good, man. I know they put a whooping on you guys in the playoffs. Yeah, they sure did, man. That was one I'll never forget. And I still have issues from that hit to this day. Um, I ran a little out route just to get the first down is about five, six yards. Thought I'm clear. I, you know, I, I run a little out route. I'm at receiver at this point. And, uh, I, I kind of give a glance upfield like, okay, I'm clear. Man, I turn, catch the ball, go to turn upfield, and whack, get hit straight in the jaw. My chin strap unbuckles. Um, I go straight to our sideline, and then I hide behind some people and go down to a knee, man, and my jaw was just jacked up like it was dislocated. Uh, and popped it back in, went back in. To this day, I just like it's just jacked up. I mean, it doesn't cause major issues, but you know, there's it's just issues. But um, and then um, the hardest probably I've ever been hit, uh, which is crazy because you think of the hardest hits ever, you would think that uh, they're the ones that hurt the worst. But the hardest I've ever been hit, like embarrassing hit, where the whole crowd just goes ooh, it was uh, Ola Adams from uh, Concord University, man. And that dude was, he was a soul taker. Like, this dude was smart. He's actually the defense coordinator at Villanova right now. And uh, great guy, very knowledgeable in football. And uh, we ran we ran a uh, speed option. He came from the safety position, opposite side safety. Because our game plan was to run away from him. So if he was on the strong side where we were running, we actually automatically just checked over to the opposite side. That's how dangerous he was in safety. And uh, he he traced the, the option. It got strung out a little bit. And I go to turn up field, and he just met me right in the hole, man. It's just hardest hit, hardest I've ever been hit. It was one that you can shake off just because the adrenaline's still pumping, but it, it was it was felt, man. Ola Adams, huh? Yeah, he, 
great dude, man. Great dude. He's done some great things in his career as far as coaching, playing. Um, he was he was that dude at safety. He was that guy about six one, probably paid about two oh five, and just had a knack for finding the football, whether it was tackling or intercepting. Donnie, you got to go on. I remember seeing all your pictures of all these different college football stadiums, like over the past few years. I was just like, how the hell is Donnie getting to go to all these stadiums? You literally went to like every college football stadium in the country. I want to hear about your travels to all these different college football stadiums and which one of them like were your favorite? I mean, there weren't any fans in the stadium, so we'll we'll make sure we know that. But yeah. I want to hear about which ones were your favorites. I get to travel to all these big schools, and um, so with that, my philosophy is is hey, when I get free time, I'm traveling to the stadium. And uh, one of my best friends from college, Orville Jennings, um, he worked as like the game day facilities management. Um, for, he's been at Wake Forest, Central Michigan. Now he's at Colorado. And uh, he always says, he's like, man, he's like, it's my nightmare that there's always a door that somebody can get in. And so I kind of took that to heart, like, okay. And so um, what I do, these stadiums, and, you know, I'm dressed in, in work attire, you know, button-up shirt. And I just literally go and find the door that's open, even if it's an office door into the stadium. Um, or I'll just go up and ask somebody, hey, is there any way I can get to the stadium to, um, you know, just see the field? And they are very just open to letting me go in. Or I just find the door that's open and just walk in. I'll pass, uh, where was I? I was at Texas A&M and passed the AD and didn't realize it was the AD until later and kind of looked at me, looked at me again. I'm like, hey, how you doing? And just kept walking. Next thing you know, I'm on the field. And, uh, and so, <laughs> hey, uh, yeah. I'm going to the football field. See you later. <laughs> yeah. Like, and I was in the stadium. Like, I was in the stadium where I shouldn't be. And, um, you know, but I, you just find a door, walk like you own the place and, or know where you're going. But it, it is funny. Um, when I was at Baylor, the basketball arena, um, it was, it was locked. And I just like literally pulled on a door just a little bit and it came open. I'm like, what the heck? And next thing you know, I'm in the, like, office of the basketball coaches. And uh, I was like, oh, yeah, I'm just trying to get to the court. And they're like, oh, yeah, it, you know, go this way, that way. So, um, you know, when I get free time, man, I just, I, you know, I love seeing stadiums. Ever since I was little, I'd see the, you know, the football stadium lights in the, in the sky as we're driving. And I'd always ask my parents, hey, can we drive by just so I can get a visual of the stadium? And um, I just got a fascination with the architecture of the stadiums and the uh, seeing what they look like, how they're built, how they're shaped around, how how's the, the, the seating fit around the, the, the field. I, I personally love, you know, stadiums that sit right on top of the, the sideline um, without the space. I, I love that myself. And so um, it's just fascination of mine, man. So every school I go to, I either ask or I just find a way to get in. And, you know, I just literally walk in, see the place, snap a couple pictures and, and get out. So, uh, I'd say my favorite one, um, without being biased, you know, if I was biased, I'd say Ohio State, but without being biased, man, honestly, my favorite stadium that I've been into, is, it has to be Texas A&M. Um, that place was just, you know, it, it sits right on top of you and it just stacks so high that, um, 
you know, I can just only imagine, you know, when when Johnny Football was there, the 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 sounds that uh, came out from the the stadium just onto the field and how loud it could get. But uh, that stadium is is really nice. I seen Jimbo Fisher there um, the last time I was at A and M, and ran into a lot of players because they're. Their workout facility is right next to the stadium, but they actually have to walk out of the locker room, out of the doors, and actually walk to the the workout facility. Um, and it's a short walk, but I've seen them all, and Jimbo Fisher's walking out, walking right in. And, um, so it, it's just neat to see all these different places, man. Yeah, Jimbo Fisher, he, he kind of made a little convenient jump from uh, Florida State to Texas A&M. <laughs> yeah, he sure did he sure did like you know I, I don't even necessarily know when the point was of florida state's offensive line going downhill but jimbo fisher saw the the talent deteriorating jump ship for a lot of money and uh you know I, I don't know i'm not really a huge jimbo fisher fan it's it's it is funny to me Jimbo Fisher, Jimbo Fisher will go to his grave defending Jameis Winston. And I'll forever respect him for it in some ways because, you know, he and Jameis would get in such fights at Florida State right in the middle of the game, you know, like Jim. And not only that, Jameis went through everything that he went through with the sexual assault scandal and Jimbo Fisher like literally Jameis Winston could have set Jimbo's house on fire and Jimbo Fisher would have said Jameis Winston is the greatest human being alive. You know, <laughs> like yeah. he, he supported him through thick and thin. And you know, it, I respect him a lot for that in a lot of ways, but um, he's a salesman, you know? Yeah. But I, I, again, wait as a player though. I mean, if, if that's the kind of coach that's thick and thin, it, it, it's a gift and a curse, right? I mean, if you got a coach like that that will will ride or die for you, no matter how much wrong you do, um, a lot of guys that know they're doing wrong, like love it because you know they know they can mess up and still have that uh, security back there. But then on the other end of it, you know, it's it's dangerous because then all of a sudden you got somebody that you know knows they're doing wrong but continues to do it instead of. Uh, toe the line so to say for the program's sake so it's a gift and a curse but i mean yeah if you got a guy like that man love to play for him just because you know he's got your back but the, the the bad part is is how much is he gonna have his back to ruin his own reputation or even the school's reputation yeah i agree and not only that you know i want to talk about one thing i've been talking to all the athletes about uh at least yeah. most of them and this is something i'm going to make a point for all the athletes on this podcast i want to talk about Player compensation in the NCAAs, Donnie. I want to talk about, you know, I get it. All these coaches, they deserve to be compensated, all right? I get it. It's They, they spend a ton of time, 24-7, 365. I get it. But the fact that these players are starving, like these players deserve at least 3000 bucks minimum a month to me so they could pay their rent, bills, gas, et cetera, et cetera, for how much money they're bringing into the university. Not only that, the players for major college football and college basketball programs are the, they're the economic engine that drives the whole athletic department. So they deserve to be compensated for it straight up. So I want to hear your thoughts about it. Yeah. 
So um, I'll just start off by saying I think players should get compensated based upon their likeness at especially big-time universities. Uh, but the I think the hard part, and that goes for all sports, whether that's women's sports, men's sports, soccer, football, the whole nine. But I think the hard part is I don't think it will ever come to uh, a head just because how do you regulate it? And then if you figure out a way to regulate it, then what the hell happens when it's, it's no different than boosters now? You know, you got boosters paying people. You got, you know, agents coming in, paying kids under the, the table, um, stuff like that already happening now, even though they were not getting paid. So now you're paying, you know, I'll use your example, three grand. So somebody's getting three grand, but then you got, you know, you got Joe Burrow, Heisman Trophy front runner, now getting paid, what, 10 grand under the table by somebody else. And so that's, I think, how do you regulate it is the challenge. But um, I, I, I'm fully for students getting paid, student athletes getting paid. Um, and the people who fight against it, I think a lot of the unknowledgeable people who fight against it have no idea because the first thing they say is education. You're getting your education free. Well, so is that person who got a 4.0 and they can still go work after they take classes and make money and have no stipulations. Um, and then, you know, the other side of it is too, they say, well, you know, uh, it, it, there's just a lot of different excuses on why a regular student can and why I can't um, as a student athlete. So, but there's, it's just a challenge, um, the challenge of regulating it. But a student athlete is making so much money for the university. 100,000 people are showing up to a game to watch, you know. Uh, Ohio State name? and Michigan. Ohio State, 100,000 people showing up to a game and paying overpriced for a ticket to watch, a, a let's call it a 20-year-old play a sport. Now he's a student athlete. But then after the game, has to get in his beater, you know, 1998, you know, Toyota Corolla and can barely get home. And how, what? Oh, because he's on, you know, a free ride. But then you look at the student who got a 4.0 free ride. They're at least able to go out and get a car because guess what? They're working. They're able to go to work. And the amount of time that student athletes put into their craft and school, because they have to maintain a GPA to be eligible. So they're doing that plus more. You're putting in what? I think the regulations are what, 40 hours a week? To, uh, yeah, you're right. To you're be right. a student athlete in, in front of the coaches. But in order to perform with the pressure, with the pressure of performing at a high level at a big-time university, and you don't have time to sleep, people don't get that your day starts, what, 5, 5.30 in the morning? And you don't end your day until, what, midnight or later? And that's with wait, then you go to class, or wait, then you go to mandatory food session, then you go to class, and then in between class, you're going to go to wait. After wait, you're going to, to meetings, then you're going to practice. After that, you got study tape. Then after that, you're doing the extra homework just to get stuff done. Um, so you don't have time to be a friend. You don't have time to be you know, out here with a, a job. So to say, so, you know, there's got to be some compensation considering the fact that universities are making millions of dollars off of athletes. And, you know, what does that look like? I mean, is that, that's not fair either. And, you know, let's take somebody that, you know, is 
junior year, they stayed another year, don't take out an insurance policy and should be a first-round draft pick, blows his knee out. Now they fall to what, fourth, fifth round? Or let's say their career's ended. Now what the hell? Like, so you mean you mean that University X made millions of dollars off of this kid because he was a star quarterback at a university and because he got an unlucky injury? You made all this money off of him and sold this many jerseys off of him and now he can't be compensated for it when he was in his prime. So I, I, I think it's a, it's a tough one, man. I just I hope there's a way that they can regulate it to make it go into play. Um, I, I, I'm for it. I'm, I'm all for it. Um, I've always said I'm for it. I just, I just, my only concern is how do they regulate it? Yeah. Now, now that you mentioned the regulations brings me to my next question, you know, um, with the endorsements coming into play, whenever sports come back, we want to talk about endorsements. Want to hear your thoughts on endorsements. This is truly going to be like the Wild West. Zach Smith talked about this on his podcast, Menace to Society. The big thing with endorsements is it's going to be very much like the agents pursuing guys in college, except you're going to see agents pursuing kids in middle school and high school, especially the top guys. Like it's it's really going to be nuts. You're talking about you know, high school freshmen getting messages from agents and getting Instagram and Facebook messages. It's, it's really going to be like the wild West, Donnie. It's, it's going to yeah. get messy. And I, I do think that endorsements are good. And I think players should definitely make money off their likeness, you know, but the key question with all of this is going to be like, how in the world are you going to regulate the agent recruitment process? Because that with the NFL draft is absolutely insane. So you can only imagine a high school kid dealing with that. Yeah, well, think about now. That's in play already with AAU basketball. And don't get me wrong, I love AAU basketball. But you think about it now, you know, uh, Zion Williamson, who did he sign with? I think he signed with Nike or he signed with Jordan. But think about the influence he had with playing with the team I want to say in AAU ball that was Adidas. Like, think about that influence. And there's some there's some documentaries out there. Um, my buddy I work with, Shad, man, he knows all these these documentaries that. But you know, it is. You know, let's say you go with Under Armour in the in the Under Armour circuit in AAU basketball. Who do you think has the influence? Who do you think seeing you every weekend you go play in the tournament? An Under Armour rep. And you know, if you're the LeBron James of that class. Everybody knows, you know, Imani Bates right now is what number two, two player, number one player in 2021. Oh, yeah. He's incredible, yeah. man. 20, yeah. 2022. He might reclassify, though, which correct. he'll probably reclassify and then he'll probably jump to the NBA. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, with that and then with that reclassification stuff that's going on now, you know, that you're you're out there like you are. These kids now are out there a lot earlier than before. I mean, you look at the freshman, uh, Mikey Williams. I mean, you know, this kid's a freshman and he's, he's everywhere. And with the likeness of social media, I mean, you're influencer as a ninth grader, all because you played on LeBron's team and you have basketball skills. So, I mean, what do you think? Like you're going to be getting free shoes left and right. I mean, you go to these, you go to the Nike circuit, peach jam, you go to Peach Jam, you get a whole wardrobe full of clothes. So, you know, there's really nothing yet like that football unless you go to the Nike League camps and then you get probably, you know, laced out with some with some deals. But um, it's 
the endorsements and, and stuff like that is going to start to become very, very big. And, and look at it from a perspective of, you know, I'm sitting here, I got uh, the MLS game on right now, but I, I'm just going to throw out Heineken. What if Heineken wants to just start endorsing a high school student athlete? So how's that playing effect? This has nothing to do with sports other than they're the major sponsor for MLS. Do they, are they are they able to get their parents free beer? You know, Audi's one of them up there. Are they able to get their parents a, a Audi to travel to and from work? I don't know. I, I don't. I think it's gonna be the wild, wild west for sure. And there's gonna be a lot of ups and downs with this thing, and or even a lot more students that are top priority student athletes right now in high school that may start to forego college at an earlier age. Um, or even high school athletics, and you might start to see, especially with you add COVID into it, you might say you you may start to see AAU be the new norm for high school basketball during the winter instead of kids playing for their high school. Yeah, you might be now right. Think Dummy. about that. Think what, about that. <laughs> yeah. What do you think about? Uh, what are your thoughts on kids jumping jumping straight to the G League, Donnie? Uh, I like it. I mean. I, I'm I'm all for it. It's no different than, you know, in our era, you know, kids can still, you know, we can still go to the NBA straight out of high school. And, you know, I, I understand there's way more people that are in touch now or way more accessible for resources for these parents and high school student athletes to be successful. Um, there's no reason why kids nowadays cannot go straight to the NBA straight out of high school. Um, you know, I think back in our day, social media wasn't very heavy. You didn't have accessibility to all these different people to, to make you successful. Um, but now you do. And so, uh, and if you want to get back into it, you know, it's one of those things. Okay, so you care about a student athlete getting their education, but you make them go to school for one year. For what? I'm Zion Williamson. I'm going to school for one year. My whole thing, and you play basketball. You show up to school for one semester and get all C's because you get a 2.0, you're eligible, or whatever that stipulation is. You're eligible. Once you're eligible, I don't even give a damn about second semester because that's basketball season one, and I'm already eligible to play the entire season. So why should I even go to class? And if you watch the documentary on um, Ben Simmons, and that's exactly what he said. He's like, my aspirations growing up in Australia were never to play in college. It was playing the NBA. So why? And that that was the reason he got suspended in a couple games. Yeah, that's what that's class. what he told the coach. <laughs> yeah, so it, but it's true. Why 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 waste his time when he can go? You know, especially if you're a gym rat. Why why would I waste my time going to class when I can be in the gym getting better in order to get that number one draft pick that then sets me up to be successful with my family? Yeah. Or I agree. Do I go Donnie. to class for what? You know. So, um, but I think some kids need it. Some kids need to go. Some kids need to go to school. Some kids need it to to mature and grow up. Uh, football, I don't think we'll ever get there, and uh, I, I don't think we should get there yet. I think that two year rule, um, you know, well, yeah, two three year rule is, is is still good for football. I mean, I, I can just only imagine me coming out of you know high school or college. Yeah, coming out of high school and running into Ray Lewis. Get out of here. You know, Donnie, one big thing I got to talk to you about. I got to get this on the record so everyone knows about this. We talked extensively about the 2011 LSU Tiger football team. And I will never forget watching 
LSU football in the spring, after their spring game, Les Miles gave Jordan Jefferson a most improved award after he threw a couple of interceptions in the spring game. And I remember telling you on the phone that Les Miles' loyalty to Jordan Jefferson was going to ruin LSU. And sure enough, it came back to bite him in the national title game. Man, man, oh man. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, we talked about that years ago, man. And that was was crazy. Uh, Hey, that's why Les Miles is at Kansas. Both. I think that's all I can say. <laughs> but yeah, I don't I don't get it. But you know, it's, they did. They went under until you know Joey Burrow, Mr. Southeast Ohio man, brought him back. So I I, I don't I don't get it left. I, I really I don't have words for that man. It's kind of that's one of those we spoke on that years ago, man. I don't really know what else to say anymore. <laughs> you know, like. Les Miles' loyalty to Jordan Jefferson, it was one of the most confusing things. You could tell he had a real soft spot for him. And it, it just kind of blew my mind throughout the whole, like, that that team was, the, that was the best college football secondary I've ever seen in my life. Let's go ahead and let the, let the record know that. That secondary was so incredible with all the guys they had. Eric Reed, like, Jesus that defense was so good. And the funny thing is they beat Alabama in the regular season and they get to that national title game. And I've never seen Les Miles coach like such a bitch. God, for a guy that, that was so well known for taking risks, he coached like such a pussy in that national title game. He literally would not let Jordan Jefferson or Jarrett Lee throw the ball down the field. It was so sad. And I can only imagine how LSU fans feel about that game. Like, you at least have to throw the ball down the field. Like, I get it. Alabama's defense was incredible. I understand that you're scared to throw the ball down the field. But guess what? You're not going to go anywhere if you just just checked out the whole time. Like it was, it was sad to watch dude, because that LSU team was truly one of the best college football teams of all time. And uh, I just, it, it, it kills me, man. Cause that secondary was so good. Yeah. And it, it, it is it's hard to believe, but you know, I, I think scheme wise, Hey, make them check it down. If you're not going to throw it deep, make them check it down. And, um, Rally up, rally in front, and that's what happened. And secondary, you know, now gets credit from the football junkies, but not the uh, not the public in a sense due to not winning the national championship. You, you know, um, one guy I definitely want to talk about, Donnie, that you mentioned earlier. I actually got to watch him. I, I was on the uh, when I was working on the Ohio football film staff. Uh, Joe Burrow's dad, Jimmy Burrow, got one of the film staff guys to film Joe Burrow's middle school game for Athens, Athens middle school. And I could tell then he was going to be really good, you know, but he had great form then and great technique. I mean, you could see it right away that he was going to be really good, but damn for him to have that kind of a turnaround last year. I I don't think anyone saw it coming. I mean, he talks about how, you know, I, I told you guys, you know what I mean? But 
damn. Like that was literally the biggest turnaround of any football prospect for the NFL draft we have seen ever, Donnie. Wait, wait, do you know where he was at on the like preseason? Where he was at on the draft board as far um, as quarterback? I, I think they were saying either fifth or fifth or sixth round, something like that. Oh wow! Yeah, Seeing that, yeah, that's crazy. And, and I, I gotta say, I gotta say it, man. Um, I wasn't a big Joe Burrow fan at first. Um, when he was in high school, especially, I, I seen his highlight films. And I was just like, you know, and, and growing up in that area, knew the competition. So it was like, okay. And I never seen any really like zip on his balls. And I'm like, man, this guy's going to the Big Ten, you know, and I'm like, okay, okay. And then I, I knew he had, you know, a stud running back, a couple, you know, the twins that were receivers and another receiver that was really good. So I'm like, just trying to gauge like, okay, who he's playing against, what's it look like. And then I tell you, man, I went, I went back home and got to see them play against uh, Alexander and um, coach Penrod was there and got to see him. He threw his first pick of his senior year. And I think that might've been his only pick of the entire season and um, threw a pick next time down the field. He threw a freaking post route about 40 yards on a rope. And I said, okay, I've seen enough. And once he threw that ball, man, I was like, okay, he's got the arm strength to do it and he can sling it. And since then, I was like, okay, this kid can play. And I was just waiting for a breakout. Ohio State, you know, got into the, the competition um, with uh, all Dwayne Haskins. And was like, okay, just waiting to see what happens. Went to LSU, had a so-so year. You know, good by means. But then, you know, you gave him a year to – and let this kind of goes back – a year to take some grad classes. You know what I mean? Like, did he really take those grad classes? Um, and that's going back a couple questions, right? So uh, he's in grad school taking online classes. So he could spend all day in the film room, man, and all day just just throwing the rock in the indoor facility. Um, and and that comes with some experience and um, comes with time, right? And he's comfortable now. And he can sling the rock already. And boy, did that show out, show off, and show out this year. I mean, it was it was amazing. Yeah, one of the best. Uh, well, actually, the best college football season of all time of any player I've ever seen. Joe Big Dick yeah. Burrow, ladies and gentlemen. I mean, you, you don't you don't get that nickname uh easily, man. When that gets handed down, man, I mean, God, just the throws he made repeatedly. It it was truly a flawless season. I mean, God. Like, I remember Ole Miss was scoring a lot of points on them and it was just like, man, like they're just not like Ole Miss was giving them a decent game, but damn, like they LSU just kept piling on the points, dude. Jamar Chase, God, I cannot wait till that guy comes out. He is unreal, Jesus. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it'd be exciting to see see when he comes out, man. Long as he's not, uh, you know, scoring a tying touchdown against Mississippi State and trying to do the dog peeing on stuff and get a penalty, <laughs> <laughs> like uh, OBJ. <laughs> nah, like, uh, oh, yeah, my bad. I'm thinking of Ole Miss, man. I'm thinking of uh, dude from Ole Miss. <laughs> guy, guy from Ole Miss did that? That's funny. Yeah, yeah. So. Well, you know, OBJ did the dog. He did a dog uh, peeing thing. Oh, no, I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah, he did that in the uh, pros. I forget. I think he did that when he was on the Giants, man. I, 
I've never really been a big fan of OBJ, man. OBJ, he's just, he's, he's full of drama, you know? Like, lately, all I have to say for OBJ is, you know, Michael Jordan said it best. Like, he shows all of his, like, endorsements and all that. He's like, you know, none of this would matter if, if I was scoring two points a game. Like, the results on the field are what drives everything. You know, and and OBJ is kind of the opposite. He had the one amazing catch, like, and he's just really like lately, all he wants to do is whine and, and he's full of drama and just, I don't know, man, the way he dresses and stuff, it's just, it's not really my thing. Like Jarvis Landry is like a, a workman like type receiver who delivers the numbers He's delivered the numbers consistently over the past few years, you know, but OBJ is just, uh, he's just too emotionally erratic for my taste, Donnie. I would not want Uh that guy on my football roster. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, without knowing him personally, man, but I, 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 I'm with you there that, you know, sometimes guys get comfortable after their name blows up and they get, they get that big paycheck, man. And, uh, they get comfortable and they're just, now out there just having fun instead of, you know, going out trying to get a championship. So, but I don't know if that's him in this case, but you know, I, I feel that there's a case for that somewhere. I'm, I'm curious, Donnie, um, who are some of your least favorite football coaches in uh, college football? Let's hear them. I I got a couple, but we'll let you go first. Least favorite. Wow. Oh yeah. Me Uh, and me and Calvin McCray teed off on a couple of guys, but (laughs) (laughs) well, I'll let you, I'll let you have the hammer first, man. It's not from, you know, really diving into them, but I I just don't see how Harbaugh is not more successful than what he is at Michigan. Um, you know, he's bringing in guys. He's got his guys there now. Um, I really like the, you know, all or nothing, special they did on Amazon with him. Um, they got to see a different side of him, but, you know, just from a production standpoint, I'm just kind of baffled. Um, and then um, I'd say UCLA, man. Uh, what is that Chip out there? Chip Kelly. Uh, yeah, Chip Kelly. Just surprised that he, again, another, you know, place that should be easy to recruit. Um, you're just not producing, man. And it's not like you're in a, you know, SEC league either. Um, so those would be two guys that um, just from production-wise that stick out to mind that uh, I'm just kind of baffled on where they're at from a production standpoint. My One of my least favorites that I didn't get to mention in one of the previous episodes, Bobby Petrino. God, I cannot stand that guy. <laughs> you talk about a soulless piece of shit. I, I cannot stand. Bobby Petrino, dude, that guy. Remember when he left the note in the locker room for the Falcons? Oh my God, yeah. that guy. He's got some nerve, man. And remember when he was at Arkansas? It was the uh, the motorcycle ride. You know, he's he's riding yeah. with his side piece, and he was he hid like what was it several several hundred thousand dollars underneath the mattress, like. God, dude, but <laughs> Jesus, Bobby P, that guy. You talk about if you wanted to rate low integrity, Bobby Petrino is probably pretty much the bottom of the barrel right there. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy, man. Uh, hey, they are who they are, I guess, right? <laughs> 
Bobby Petrino, and I can't stand Brian Kelly, dude. Brian Kelly is an absolute psychopath. I mean, I, I cannot imagine college coach, like being a college football recruit and looking at how Brian Kelly deals with his quarterbacks and be like, you know what? I think I'm going to sign up for that. That looks awesome, man. I cannot wait for Brian Kelly's face to turn purple as I throw an interception. Like, I'm so excited. Like, that really, that gets me going, you know? Uh-huh. Yeah, and, but let's point this out, though. Like, how many head coaches right now in major college football, um, not just talking Power Five, let's say Division One, or from Grand Valley State? I mean, that's crazy. Like, Brian Kelly, uh, Martin at Miami. I want to say there might be one or two more that are out there. But, you know, that's a Division Two you know, powerhouse, and especially back in my day, that um, just the amount of coaching talent that's going through there, crazy. Yeah, Brian Kelly, he's, he's definitely a talented coach, but uh, I, I really can't stand the way that guy handles with things. I mean, remember when he shoved? He shoved the strength coach about five yards off the field. Like, God, <laughs> what a psychopath, dude. And not only that, he wouldn't even apologize it in the post game. It's like, what the hell is wrong with you, dude? Like, God. Yeah. And, and not only that, another topic I want to touch on, Donnie, what do you think about all these? Like, the thing about all these college coaches, like, their, their salaries are just <laughs> outrageous. What are your thoughts, Donnie? I mean, should Nick Saban really get $10 million a year while his players aren't getting paid? Yeah, uh, it, it's crazy, right? Um, you know, I, I do like the fact that, you know, coaches are getting paid, taking care of their families, so forth and so on. But I also think, you know, it, it's a little deeper than that. And it, and it hits on a little topic we talked about earlier. But let's say, you know, you choose to go to Ohio State because of the coach. And all of a sudden, you know, let's say a, a sanction comes on and you can't even make the playoffs now. You can't even make postseason. Well, guess what? That coach leaves. The The university gets hit with sanctions, but this coach is still getting paid. And then now the players that committed there can't even, you know, transfer. Um, it's a little easier than what it used to be to transfer because now you can, you know, you can go in, you can, you can fight the case and see what happens. But, man, it, I, I mean, the coaches are getting paid, man. I mean, it's kind of one of those things from a, you know, if you're looking at just straight money, if you're willing willing to put in the grind for it and build those connections around the coaching world, coaching's a, a very, very good business to be in. Um, but no knock on that. I mean, I understand I understand uh, the reason why, you know, universities are making millions of dollars on it. Um why not pay to get the best coaches? But I think that expectation on coaches too, on depending on 18 to 21 year olds to go win them a national championship every, or in, you got to win national championship in three years is crazy. Um, so they're dealing with a lot of scrutiny as far as that and having to hold down a university having to hold down, you know, students during their free time of posting stupid shit on social media. So you deal with a lot of stuff and just me coaching in my my small small university I coached at, you know, Urbana University, which shut down actually during COVID. Um, they shut the doors, man. So, you know, with one of those things, it's, I, I get it. But, man, that grind there, boy, is, is, is a whole different grind level. But it's well worth it once you hit hit that level and it's something you love to do. 
But um, I will tell you, it's, it's very risky, too, because you're putting your life and your family's, you know, life into uh, the, the hands of of young kids, so to say, that you just hope they, they do right and you got to do right by them also. So uh, much respect, though, on the co- uh, on, on the what how they get paid. Um, it's just it's funny to see the discrepancy of how much they're getting paid. And, and Wade, this is a question for you, man. Like, what happens? Now to universities, think about all these lawsuits that are going to start coming out with COVID-19 coming out, and now you're cutting faculty and staff, but the coaches only got to take a pay cut. Oh, yeah. I mean, this, uh, this that's a loaded question, Donnie. There's pretty yeah, much uh, a never-ending <laughs> amount of litigation that's going to go on from this. The litigation lawyers are really chomping at the bit all across the country in all different like God, all different fields. I mean, I know that they had, you know, they had the Ohio State players sign a COVID waiver. But let me tell you something about litigation lawyers, Donnie, and and pieces of paper like that being signed. You really think a little piece of paper like that's going to stop a litigation lawyer? Let me tell you something. Absolutely not. And uh, you know, everyone's got to make money somehow, but litigation lawyers during coronavirus like you want to talk about the winners if we want to talk about the winners of coronavirus i mean obviously everyone wants to talk about lord jeff bezos who's worth like what over 190 million or a billion dollars like that's absolutely (laughs) absurd like that guy looks like doc dr evil and he treats his employees like absolute trash but yeah (laughs) anyways with uh what was I talking about with uh besides Bezos? Oh, the winners the winners of coronavirus. Litigation uh-huh. lawyers are are really gonna come out of this like I mean, they're gonna come out of this thing like a fat rat. You know what I mean? There's no question to me. And it's kind of funny. I haven't seen a lot of people in the national media mention it. And, you know, it's messed up, right? But that that is like the reality of this. Like there is just an endless amount of litigation from all this, from workplace lawsuits and just God. I mean, uh, with players contracting it. I mean, what if a player contracts it and dies? I mean, I really think the odds the odds of a college football season are, are pretty much zero in my eyes. I mean, I've seen other people say less than fifty percent. But I've studied the coronavirus pretty extensively, and I I really think that, I mean, there's just no way it can happen, man. Listen, I'm a diehard college football fan. Anyone that's been listening to all these episodes will realize that. But the reality of this situation is this virus spreads so rapidly. And not only that, it's already killed over 130,000 people. I mean... Not to mention, like, what, 3 million cases in the United States alone? Like, it's absolutely insane. Like, the whole coronavirus thing, it's its exposed a lot of things in America. And uh, it, it's kind of sad, really, because it's, it's kind of, I think it's pronounced divisions that were already there, you know? And, uh, you know, America used to be the top of the mountain, you know, like the, the, the king of the hill, you know, I, I don't think that any longer, man, like with, with COVID, I I think Stanford breaking news tonight was Stanford cut 11 of their sports. 
I know UConn cut some of theirs, and there's been other other programs across the country that have already started cutting programs. This is before football season has even started. So to me, the whole ludicrous, the, the most ludicrous thing of all of this is the fact that our Congress has not already gotten a massive, absolutely massive bailout package for all of these athletic departments, Don. I mean, we are talking about billions upon billions of dollars. And uh, the fact that Congress has not already gotten a big bailout package ready or discussed that is, to me, just incredibly concerning. And just all leaders across the board, like, I don't care if you're a Republican, Democrat, I don't give a shit. Our politicians have failed us to the highest degree during all of this. Like, I don't care who you voted for. I don't give a shit. They're all awful. Like, God, it's our politicians are so out of touch with reality. It, it makes me sick. It really does. Yeah. Yeah, man. It's, it's crazy. And uh, I think it's going to get crazier from here on out. And we, we just don't know what's going to happen with everything. And, so we'll we'll see how it plays out. You know, I always say take it day by day and don't control the controllables. Yeah, that's that's a real smart thing, Donnie. I mean, you got to just focus on the inputs of of what you can do every day. And I mean, during all this, I mean, it's uh, it's just a it's a crazy time to be alive, man. For a lot of reasons. Mm-hmm. I mean, the news is just it's it's chaos all over the place with all the the rising coronavirus cases all over the place. It seems like so many people are just fighting over just all kinds of things. I mean, this is uh, it's a, it's a wild time to be alive, man. I mean, it's 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 really nuts. Which leads me to my next topic, Donnie. Um, you know, we we've talked for a long time about how America was headed towards being a very soft society. I want to hear your thoughts on that first. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think uh, I I think we're in it. To be honest, I, I think we're in it. Um, when you look at uh, you can just go to your your baseball games that are going on right now, all your different sports, and um, you know, coaches at a youth league level are scared to yell it and getting a another kid's ass because the parents will will take it so literal. And uh, the post always used to post back in the day, and one of the baseball coaches that it, it, Back in Gallia, Coach Corbin always shared it with them, and I said, "In and, and the quotes, like if if uh, you're an uncoachable kid, you'll be uncoachable actually in the real world." And those are the ones always complaining about the job they didn't get, and uh, instead of working hard to, to earn what you get and being coachable. Um, and so, you know, the people, the kids nowadays, it's, it's just it is. It's so hard. Um, I do basketball lessons at the local YMCA here. And, you know, it is, it's very challenging. You get kids that aren't even there to be there. Their parents pay for them to be in a lesson. And, you know, sometimes they don't even, the kids don't even want to listen and pay attention. You just want them to, hey, go run. But, you know, I'm so scared as the instructor that let this kid go run. And then their parent comes in and now they're trying to sue the YMCA because, I made their kid run because they wouldn't listen, you know? So it's, it's a, we're already in a soft world. I mean, people can't even, people can't even have dialogue on, you know, different views anymore, whether it's, 
you know, how to stop at a four-way stop or whatever the case may be. Yeah, it's cancel. Cancel culture has taken over, Donnie, and the social media mob knows no limits. You know, if you don't agree with me, you're canceled and I'm never talking to you again. I mean, to me, people more than anything right now need to give other people space to to disagree you know you can agree to disagree like this is america like people have no idea but where we're headed now we are slowly marching towards being communist china and people might laugh but that is the reality of this you're gonna censor free speech you're gonna say that certain things are are good and that that's the only way to do things you know like it, it, it's just annoying, man. Like freedom of speech was one of the great parts about this country and it's ruined. It's ruined forever. Way people are censoring speech. There's so many people that are scared to voice their opinions. Like Drew Brees talking about standing during the national anthem, you know, like my God, like half the NFL jumped down his throat. Of course, LeBron, this is one of the issues I have with LeBron is just, you know, LeBron, you're going to jump all over Drew Brees for the national anthem. Yet, when it comes to issues in China and Hong Kong, you're dead silent. You know what I mean? Hey, LeBron, you're a quality shoes that are made by Nike. You want to know who makes those? Yeah, kids in China that are making like three cents an hour. Like, it's absolute, it's modern day slavery. Like, those kids that are making the shoes for Nike and LeBron, it's it's just he's a huge hypocrite, dude. LeBron, massive, massive hypocrite, because for the NBA to talk about all these social justice issues and then to be silent about Hong Kong and China, to me, it's uh, it's incredibly hypocritical of uh, the NBA. And just it's a big reason why I don't like LeBron. Right. LeBron. I'll tell you another issue I have with LeBron, you know. It's awesome that he built that school for all those kids, all right? But, God, I cannot believe that guy had a mural painted of himself beside Martin Luther King Jr., Donnie. Like, this is my thing with Martin Luther King Jr., dude. Martin Luther King Jr. is one of the greatest figures in American history. Like, like, it's not for you to decide that you're on Martin Luther King Jr.'s level. You know what I mean? If somebody else wanted to paint that, let them paint it, right? But LeBron got someone to do that. You know what I mean? Like, to me, it, it just, I don't know, man. Like, that really rubs me the wrong way. And I'm, quite honestly, I'm surprised that more people did not call LeBron out on that because... Like to put yourself on the same footing as Martin Luther King Jr. Donnie, that guy's I have a dream speech. It's one of the most beautiful speeches in American history, regardless of race. And and LeBron tries to put himself on that level. Let me tell you something, Donnie. LeBron will never have a speech like Martin Luther King's I have a dream speech ever. I don't. And I I will agree with that. He will never have a speech. But I will say he is changing the landscape for future athletes to affect their communities directly. And for that, I will say, you know, in these different times of where we're at, um, that's going to be a pivotal piece 
maybe 50 years from now in our in our history um, for communities actually having a LeBron James in their communities like an Akron to give back a, an entire school. Um, there's been plenty of athletes, you know, Michael Jordan, uh, you know, has the funds to fund a, a school and has never done it. So when you, I, I look at this as like a pivotal moment in a in an athlete's um, point of view in history, um, coming from poverty, of turning that tide for, you know, the, the, the black and brown communities in very diverse areas and in poverty areas and changing that dynamic because we haven't really had athletes that have done, we haven't had an athlete that's done that, not in, let alone ones that have actually, you know, when LeBron, D Wade and CP3, you know, stood up for black lives matter years ago, they put their necks on the line, but they were big enough to withstand that at the time. And uh, so, you know, it's one of those things that, I think he's going to be, I think we'll look back on this years from now and see how pivotal this piece was. Because think about it, Martin Luther King Jr., when he gave that speech, he was still hated. Like He wasn't liked by, you know, half of America. So, you know, it's one of those things, that's where history comes into play. Is you appreciate things as time gets older and as time grows, you, you appreciate some of those things. And, you know, but again, that's, that's the world we're in, man, is people are going to do things. We got to see it and we got to, evaluate it and you know I, I just for me personally I just like to see everybody's perspective like I like to see why he did that I but you know it's kind of one of those things you never really get to with all the documentaries and stuff coming out now I hope I get a chance to see uh, a lot of those different point of views from their perspective um, or just be a fly on the wall with no cameras and you know microphones <clears throat> to actually just hear exactly why people are doing things yeah Interesting. you know LeBron, the big thing with LeBron is I just wish he would show a little more humility. You know, I, when he, when he said like that made me the greatest of all time and, and all that, you know, uh, LeBron and, and he does do a lot of like really good things, but I, you know, sometimes you do good things just to do good. And sometimes you do good things because they make you feel good. I think LeBron is probably a combination, you know? But um, sometimes it's, you know, and sometimes I think it's to me with charity, I, I like people that donate anonymously and you, you know, you don't want cameras on you and uh, you know, all that, you don't want all the attention for doing it, you know, but LeBron, LeBron is very big on having the spotlight on him when he does good things and everything. Um, you know, I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on, on the statues, Donnie, and, and all the, you know, one of the big targets of the BLM movement are the uh, statues, you know, all the, all the statues coming down and all the, all the, uh, civil war statues and all the civil war names being changed. You know, one thing that I honestly propose, and to me, I I'm amazed that no one has, has proposed this. And this is instead of tearing down all the statues, you know, for all the money that you're going to use tearing down the statues, why not build more black monuments like Medgar Evers? See, I don't know if you know who Medgar Evers is, but Ghosts of Mississippi, that movie at Medgar Evers was essentially the Martin Luther King Jr. before Martin Luther King Jr. And to me, there needs to be, you know, more monuments of guys like Medgar Evers. I personally would totally support their 
being more black monuments. And I'm amazed that instead of tearing down all these monuments and spending all this money to to move all these monuments and destroy them, why not build more black monuments? What are your thoughts on that, Donnie? Yeah, well, I'm kind of torn between it all. Not really torn, actually. Um, It's just kind of one of those things where we've lived, and for me, I've lived 34 years seeing them, knowing the meaning behind it, um, just because of the way I was raised, just knowing exactly, you know, my, my parents, you know, my, my dad's 88 right now, my mom's 74. And so they remember, like my dad, so my grandpa, I never got to meet him, you know, was born in the 1800s. So, so think about that. Like I am, my grandpa was born in the 1800s. And so thinking of it that way, like I'm hearing firsthand stories of things that were going on in the 1800s. I'm hearing firsthand stories of how my mom was treated, my dad was treated, you know, growing up. Um, and so knowing what that, what the monument, you know, kind of the, the history behind them. And, and, you know, it's kind of one of those things, that's why we have history books. And so when you, when you wrap it all into one, you think about the monuments, yes, one. But then you look at um, the history book. And I went to a predominantly white school. And when you look at that, when when we went through history lessons in in school, only time we talked about anything you know black related was in February, and so we never really got to experience black history. And and so and even at that, it was very small and subtle. My kids now here in in Finland, they get in February they hear about Martin Luther King and Rosa Parks, but that's it. And so whenever you think about that yeah i think there should be some more black monuments up in places um but at the same time you know is there really a place in this world of hatred and i hate to say it i mean but we are we're living in the the united states of hatred right now and sensitivity and it all comes back to one sensitivity like we talked about the world's getting soft but at the same time um you know the world's getting woke on this hatred and um you know, it, it's one of those things I, I personally feel, you know, some of that stuff should be down, but I'm, I'm also one too, that it is a part of our history. I don't think it needs to be open for the entire world to see, but like in an open forum and us praise it, but it's one of those, Hey, I mean, it could go in a museum somewhere to explain the full story. Um, and that's just my, you know, kind of adult sound piece of history. Like we, you tear it down or not, the history is still there. The story behind it is still there. And so whether, you, you know, the, the statues were built, reserve them, dig them up, move them to a, a history museum where now they can be learned about. Now we can actually do educational pieces on it instead of, you know, build more hatred on whether it's up or down. And that's just my overall perspective on it. Yeah, you know, Donnie, I mean, I, I was I was for the statues staying for the longest time, but quite frankly, I'm just I'm tired of just hearing people argue about it. You know, it's kind of like Colin Kaepernick and, you know, kneeling, you know, I'm just I'm just I'm tired of hearing about it. You know, it's just it's nonstop in the media, you know. It's just literally like I'm sorry, like, regardless of who you are, black, white, Chinese, Mexican, like, you're probably sick and tired of hearing about the kneeling debate. You know, it's just, 
it, it's just nonstop. We never hear the end of it. I just, you know, one thing we can all agree on is we want to watch football, you know, like that's the reality of, it, you know, and I tell you one thing that I actually thought of recently that I thought, you know, if you're going to take down the statues, one thing that I saw in China, and it's kind of funny, I mentioned this because I said, you know, slowly we're becoming communist China because the way speech is getting censored nowadays. But, you know, let's say you take down the statues and instead of a statue, how about you put in its place a elaborate water dancing fountain, you know, where everyone can come and watch like the, these fountains in China, they start dancing like to music and everything. To me, I think it would be an incredible use of public space. And uh, quite frankly, I'm kind of surprised that no one's thought of that because you know what? Who's going to argue over like, oh, gee, like that, that fountain sucks. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. It, I mean, you know, it, it is. Uh, I think somebody's got to wrap their head around it and somebody's got to fund it. Right. So, um, but there's just so, again, there's so much hatred out there that it's hard for people to, to truly see something that can unify us that everybody's focused on my view is this and that's how it should be instead of just saying, Hey, we're all humans living in this country together. Why can't we, you know, we got to live together. Why, why do we got to hate each other? Like, but I think that's just America in itself right now. And people in itself is people would rather focus so much more on the hatred than, than the positive things in life. Why, why do I want to walk around here all day worried about what everybody else is doing? Instead of just worry, excuse me, worry about me and mine and control the controllables. Yeah. And be I, happy doing it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I agree, Donnie. You got to just let people, let people think what they want and focus, focus your energy on your inputs of doing a good job at your work. And just, you know, Tony Bennett has always said this at Virginia, you know, all the praise and the adulation, you know, in the world, it's all noise. You have to focus on the inputs to make you a better basketball player. All the other stuff is just noise. Put your blinders yeah. on and go to work. Correct. Correct. But, but hey, wait, I got to get off here in probably about a couple minutes, if that's all right. Oh, yeah. That se- sounds good, Donnie. Um, let me, one, one last question I wanted to ask you, your, your favorite football player of all time. Favorite football? Man, that's, that's a tough one. Can I two-piece it? Sure. Do what you got to do, oh, man. man. So uh, I got to go with Mike Vick. Uh, Mike Vick, by far, favorite player on the football field. Um, just playing quarterback, being a lefty, um, slinging a rock around, making plays on his feet. Back in the VTech day, um, I know that's going to burn you a little bit. But, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, Mike Vick, definitely from the quarterback perspective, but then just from an overall athlete, man, uh, Reggie Bush. Um, you know, and that's one of the reasons I, you know, seen him a little bit ahead of my time, you know, wearing that number five, man, and, and just the plays he made on his feet, the cut. I mean, he changed the college game uh, back in the day. I mean, even to the way it's played now, you know, you see the way people cut and, and just maneuver like he does, man. Reggie Bush, by far. It would be right there with me. So that's that's always why you wore number five. No, nah, so the way I got to number five is kind of funny. Um, I, I never wore number five prior to that, and uh, my sophomore year, 
You know, I know I'm starting varsity. I'm starting at free safety as a sophomore. And uh, it's time to pick numbers. Well, at our high school, we really didn't have any low numbers. We had like one, I think two, and then like bare, like maybe nine. But we didn't have many like single-digit numbers. And I remember they in, in years before that, they didn't have hardly any single-digit numbers. And I rarely ever remember anyone wearing five. And I think, to be honest, nobody else wore number five prior to me. Um, unless I'm missing a year, you know, my ed- like elementary days. But I think I might have been one of the very first to wear number five. And so I was going for a single digit my, uh, my sophomore year, and they came to me with a number. I said, what's left? And they said five. And that's why I snagged up five. And when I put on five, my boy Jim Jim will always say, he's like, boy, don't nobody ever wear number five like you wore and so uh, that I I just wore number five from that point forward, and, um, and and same kind of same in basketball. I never got to wear five in basketball though because uh, we never had the number five. So my my number of basketball was twenty from my freshman year, and that was just kind of you know how I fell into it. It was twenty, but Gary Payton, you remember, was real big. I won it twenty two because uh, the neighborhood boys that were older, Greg and Joey James used to always call me Calvert Chaney. uh, (laughs) Calvert Chaney from Indiana. Yeah, yeah, Calvert Chaney. But then I also, you know, one of my favorite hoopers at the time coming up in elementary school and junior high was uh, Michael Red. you know, lefty, could just play. He could really shoot it. Yeah, and I wanted wanted 22, but I couldn't get 22. So I I ended up getting 20, and it became a number that just stuck with me. So. All right, Donnie, that's that's all you got time for, my man. Really appreciate you taking the time to uh, come on the podcast, man, and discuss college football and uh, all your playing days, man. Really, really enjoyed it. Way appreciate it, man. Keep doing your thing, man. Uh, good to connect with you again, and we'll be in touch. All right. Appreciate Thanks it. a lot, Donnie. Take care. Yes, sir. You too. to the flow theory podcast you can listen to our podcast on apple Podcasts, google Podcasts, stitcher spotify and tune in